0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to Acts chapter 21 and we'll pick up where we left off last week. And uh, yeah, we do have some cool things. I I don't have a bunch of games. I'm responsible for like one game. Uh, It's a cool game though. Uh, and and I think we're going to have cornhole set up in here, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you can watch the game, play some cornhole. But how many of you remember these? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we will be having a paper football tournament during the Super Bowl, and there will be a good prize to the winner, which will probably be me. But anyway, uh, we do encourage you, if you don't have plans, you'd like to come, we'd love to have you be a part of what we're doing. And so as we jump into the Word, we've got a lot of Scripture to cover, but I'm going to go through it pretty rapidly. Most of it's going to be reading the scripture, and then I'm going to give you some um, observations. But to get us started, just thinking about creation, um, creation is amazing. Like I, even as I look out there, all of you, it's kind of cool uh, all of you in red today. Uh, it feels like we're doing something. Uh, but anyway, it, it, you think it like you guys are amazing. Just looking at you as, as, as creatures and the uniqueness in which God has created you, formed every one of you individually and uniquely made, Different personalities, different looks, different hair color, like different colors of skin. It's it's amazing to think about um, how God uh, creates us um, in in all of this variety. And when we look at the animal kingdom, the same thing happens. And one of these creatures in the animal kingdom is a chameleon. And chameleons are pretty fascinating creatures. Things that I didn't know about them. A couple of things just in in researching this is. Uh, getting, you're like, what? I thought we were going to church, not a zoology class. But anyway, uh, so the chameleon, he, uh, one thing about him that's pretty interesting is that uh, he, uh, his eyesight, he can rotate his eyes um, all the way around, and he can do it independently. So he can put one of them this way and turn the other one that way, and he can nearly see 360 degrees um, in his environment from one spot. And so that's pretty fascinating about him. And then obviously we know the most famous characteristic about the chameleon is that he can alter the color of his skin. He has a couple of layers of skin and some sort of uh, crystal-like stuff going on in between those two layers where he's able to um, alter by bending light, he's able to alter the color of his body. And so that's pretty fascinating. I, I always thought that they could do that so they could be camouflaged, you know, and they could, they could hunt well and, and, and pick up their prey or, or be protected if something is after them. And they do use it for that, but primarily um, it is for communication. And so if you take a chameleon and uh, put him in front of a mirror and he thinks there's another chameleon, he gets really excited and he will uh, really do some crazy stuff with his body and make it change different colors. And they also use it for uh, reproduction when they're mating and they will sort of display their colors to reach out and attract um, their mate. And it's been uh, studied that if you put them under ultraviolet light, they really get romantic. (laughs) So they're able to really do some cool stuff, and they they multiply even faster and are more reproductive in ultraviolet light. So why why am I talking about that? Well, Paul teaches us um, as kingdom citizens to have chameleon characteristics. And so we... We look at some of the things that Paul teaches us, and we've been talking about, okay, man, um, so as we function in the kingdom of Christ, and we're called out to be a part of this kingdom, then we take on characteristics um, that enable us to achieve movement in the kingdom. And so we can see that happening in this whole idea of it being Super Bowl Sunday and Chiefs Kingdom. We definitely take on characteristics to um, connect with each other and allow the world to know which team we're pulling for. Well, in the kingdom, there's movement um, that happens, and Paul teaches a lot about it. and And to get us started, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. It's not the main part of our text, but it, but it's an important uh, passage of Scripture. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, beginning in verse 19, we have this really. Um, It's a pretty familiar passage of scripture. If you've been around the kingdom of Christ very much, you've probably heard it. And Paul says this. He says, though I am free, this is chapter 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many people, as many as possible. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so we here we can clearly um, hear Paul talking about um, how he changes his behavior according to the people that he's trying to minister to. And he, he talks about some pretty significant differences. In people, some people are strong, some people are weak, and I I will I will bend and shape in order to be able to connect with them. Now, when we go back to our text in Acts chapter 21, what we see is that Paul is practicing what he's preaching in First Corinthians chapter nine. So, in First Corinthians chapter nine, he's telling us, "Look, man, this is how I live my life. I become all things to all people that, by the grace of God, I might save some, that I might see some people come into the kingdom." Now, he's not saying that he compromises what's true. What he's saying is, I look and see how I might be able to take on some characteristics that would allow me um, the uh, relational equity or bandwidth in a person's life to be able to speak some truth in their, their lives. And so he's constantly looking for ways to do that. So when we go back to Acts chapter 21, we know that last week we left off where Nobody wants him to go to Jerusalem because everybody knows that it's not going to be good for Paul to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be facing some persecution. There are people there that um, are not fans of Paul. And then he has this prophet, Agabus, that makes a prophecy about him that says, Hey, whoever owns this belt, and he has Paul's belt at this time, is going to be arrested and they're going to be handed over. And so they're like, Man, don't go, Paul. Don't go. Don't go. But Paul's like, Man, don't discourage me from what the Lord has called me to do. I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. And so now he's going into Jerusalem, and that's where we left off as he gets them all refocused on where they're supposed to be, and he heads into Jerusalem. And it says, when they arrived at Jerusalem, this is verse 17, and we're going to read a lot here, but what I want you to do is I want you to imagine... That You're there, like, and you're watching this stuff unfold. You're watching Paul. Nobody wants him to go to Jerusalem. They're worried about what's going to happen in Jerusalem when they get there, but they go. And there's a Jerusalem church there. And James, the the brother of Jesus, uh, is there, and he's leading that church. He has become a follower of Christ and been used in a significant way uh, as an elder in the church. And so it says, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. And the next day, Paul and the rest of us went uh, to see James, and all the elders were present. And Paul greeted them, and he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And so they just spent a lot of time just talking about, man, this is how the kingdom has been moving over these past few years as we were traveling through all these areas. And he tells of all the stories and all the encounters that we've been learning about um, for the past several weeks. And he says, when they heard this, they praised God. Okay, they were excited. They were like, man, this is awesome. And then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. And so he says, like, James starts to talk to Paul. He says, man, since you've been gone, there have been thousands. And and some translations say myriads. There, There were thousands and thousands of Jews who converted over and left the old way of Judaism. And believed in Christ. They no longer rejected Christ as the Messiah. So they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, God in the flesh. And he says, there's thousands of them. And they are very zealous for the law. It means that they were very passionate about the law. They believed in Jesus, but they also loved the things that were taught in the um, Old Testament law that that were given to Moses. And they're very zealous about it, James says. And it says that um, they have been informed They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away uh, from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. So you said, men, as you've been out there, all of these people who have converted and, and, and believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they're zealous about everything historically that we have, they're passionate about it, they've been hearing rumors that you're out there on your journeys and you're telling people, no longer to practice the things that have been handed down to us from our forefathers. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men and join in their purification rights and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And so the next day, Paul took them in and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So what's going on here? Well, these four guys had made a they had made a Nazarite vow. And which meant that they were going to not eat any fruit from uh, the grapes, no wine, nothing like that. They were not going to cut their hair. And so there was a certain period of time that when a person made a Nazarite vow under the Old Testament um, law, they could willingly and voluntarily vow this to the Lord. And they would go through this process. And then at the end of the process, they would go to the temple and they would um, have their heads shaved because they hadn't cut their hair for all of this time, and, and then that would be presented along with um, <clears throat> some other things that were offered, and it was kind of an expensive thing. And so it was, noted, it was, it was kind of a, uh, a, an act of charity and, and viewed as, as a good thing if a person had the means to pay for someone else who didn't have the means to go through this process when it was completed. And so Paul had been traveling out among the Gentile area, and he, whenever you came back to the temple, you had to go through, before you could go into the temple, you had to go through this purification process. And so again, remember, we're, we're talking about how, the, the, um, how the, the Old Testament law functioned. And, and we're living in a time where the church is shifting. It's shifting away from the old and learning how to receive the new covenant. And so Paul, before he could go and, and, and present this offering, he had to go through the rites of purification, which took seven days. So he goes in to the temple and he tells the priest, okay, I'm going to pay for all these bros here. I'm going to complete their, their vow and I need to go through the purification process as well. So that's, that's where we are in the story. And so they're doing this and they want Paul to do it to show that all the rumors that are being said about Paul, that he's teaching against this, because Paul never taught against it. He never taught that, that um, you, you shouldn't observe the law. What he taught was the law will never make you right with Jesus. Like it, it, It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it, but it will never save you. You have to have Jesus in order to be saved and forgiven of your sins. And so he, uh, uh, he, he complies with them and says, okay, I, I'm going to do this. And so it says in verse 27, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Okay, these are the people that were Jews out there when he was ministering beyond Jerusalem. Remember, he wants to come back for this festival. He's trying to rush back before this festival is over. So people are making this pilgrimage. They're coming back to Jerusalem, and Paul was one of those people. Well, some of the people were against him that we've been learning about uh, that kept attacking him and causing trouble for them. They're back in Jerusalem as well. And it says, when the the, uh, time was complete, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. And they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches the men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. And they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. But he hadn't brought him in the temple area. He was just traveling with him. And so the whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And he at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. <laughs> okay, It's pretty aggressive stuff here, man. They literally drag him out of the temple. This is absurd. They drag him out of the temple because they don't want to defile the temple and they just start beating him to death. So there's a problem there if you can kind of see that. It's about what's going on in your heart, not what's going on in the temple. And so they're out there and they're just beating beating Paul. They're going to kill him. And this this uh, Roman comes in with uh, the soldiers, and they see him, and they stop beating him. And so the commander came up, and he uh, arrested him. So he takes Paul, just like was prophesied about him, and he ordered him to be bound with two two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. And so there's some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the, the soldiers. And the crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him, away with him. And so here they're carrying Paul. They pull him out of their grips. They've got him arrested. He's been beaten, He's probably bleeding, been hit in the head several times. Um, they would have, like I said, it was a very aggressive thing. And so the soldiers get him out. They can't figure out. The commander can't figure out because there's so much confusion. Some people are saying Paul did this. Some people are saying he did that. So he just pulls him out of the mob. And as the soldiers were about to take him into the barracks, um, Paul, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? He says, do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists? out into the desert some time ago. And Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And so he had mistaken uh, Paul for a rioter. And, and, and so Paul explains to him, no, I, I'm a Jew. And, and so having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Now, now you got to picture this. Here's a guy who's, who's there these people that are beating them. He stops the commander, and he, get, he says, I want to talk to these people. And so the commander uh, let, allows him to do it. And it says, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, so he moves from speaking in Greek to now he's speaking in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. It's like he's saying, man, I get where you're coming from. I've been there. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them uh, to their brothers into Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And so he, he again, as he's connecting with them, and he says, man, while I was on my way about noon, I came near uh, Damascus, and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And so again, you got to picture Paul, man. He's up there. He's bleeding. There's blood running down his face. His lips probably swollen, and he's talking to them and he's giving them their testimony. They're all listening to him. They're in tune with what he's saying. And he says, "A man. He says that I, I, I had to be led back to Damascus because I couldn't see. I was blind." He said, a man named Ananias came to see me, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. In other words, he was just like you guys. And he stood beside me, and he said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that moment, I was able to see. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be the witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so Paul man, he has their attention and he, he's just giving them his testimony. There's four times Paul or Luke records that Paul gives his testimony. That shows us the significance of Paul leaving and and, and becoming a person who was an opponent of the church of, of Christ to one being shifted totally and becoming an advocate of the kingdom because he was made a citizen of the kingdom. And so he's he's got their attention, man. They're listening to him, listening to him up until the point he says. Um, the Lord told him to go away to the Gentiles. this it says, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. They were very prejudiced against the Gentiles. And Paul was saying, man, the Lord equated the Gentiles like he doesn't look at anybody differently. He looks at all people the same. They all need Jesus is basically what Paul is saying. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. And he directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. And so he couldn't get to the bottom of it, so he was going to take him in and just beat the truth out of him. And as they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked, this man is a Roman citizen. And the commander went to Paul and he asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. And the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. And those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. And the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. That's a lot, okay? There's really no way to break the story up. You kind of got to absorb it all. So I'm going to make three observations about this story, about when we think of, King, like kingdom chameleons, and what does that mean? How do we see that happening here? Well, three observations I want to make about what, we, what I just read from the truth of the Word of God. Here's the first one. Kingdom chameleons give God all the glory, right? They know how to do that. When we first see Paul, he goes into Jerusalem, he goes to the church, he goes to James, and look at what he says to James <clears throat> in verse... Um, 18. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present, and Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He never, it never was what I did. It was always with Paul what he did through me. And so we see in him always giving God the glory, not I, but he. And so here's what I want you to take away from this. This is so vitally important for you as as a person uh, who who hopefully you're part of, of the kingdom of Christ. We do not do things for God. God does things through us. If you are trying to do things for God instead of allowing God to do things through you, your identity is totally jacked up. If you came to church this morning because you wanted to please God... You are doing something for God. Your identity is messed up. You can't please God. Like that's 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 a thinking um, to where we think that we can add value to God. If God is God, we cannot add any value to Him. He He already has all the like. That's what makes Him God. He is. He is valuable in spite of us, and so we do not add anything to the Lord. The reason that we come to church and gather together is certainly to rejoice in what? What God has been doing through us, and so we come, and we learn, and we're challenged, and we want to learn and say, how can I learn to live my life in a way where God is doing more through me, not where I'm doing more for God but God is doing more through me. And so so you might say, well, man, that's just semantics. It's not. It's totally a different way to approach life. We have to be careful because if we are not, our identity can come from what we do instead of who we are. And what happens is we start living in life just like the Pharisees did that Jesus came and blew up it was all about look at how good I am and look at all that I'm achieving and how good I can follow the law. And it became very legalistic as opposed to look at what God has done. And then your life is lived in subjection and, and uh, to Him as the king of your life. And so, identity, we don't want it to come from what we do. We want it to come from who we are. Why is that important? Because we, when, we, when it comes from who we are, we realize. Um that 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 I belong to Jesus. Right? Like, let me prove this to you. If you were to just say, like I for me to say this, I am I am a son of God. That's a little bit like if you if I ask you to say that, just and I won't. But if I ask you to say, hey, tell me. You're a son of God. It makes us feel a little strange. It's like, oh, am I really a son of God? Yes, if you have been born again, the scripture teaches that we are adopted into sonship by the grace of God and we call upon Him, Abba Father. He is our Father. And so we become children of God. Why? You see, the reason we're uncomfortable with saying I'm a son of God is because we look at our lives and go, I am not doing enough to call myself a son of God. Well, how much are you going to do before you get there, bro? Like, what do you do? Like, we're, we're sons and daughters of God because of Jesus, and that's it. Like, he, he died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, and that's what, that's what he's trying to get these people to see is, man. I love the law, but we have to understand that, that, that it is is Paul is saying that it is Jesus who sets us free from our sins. And so he, he has his identity totally wrapped up in um, Jesus. And when we realize and understand that, then when we look at the kingdom, we understand that he's sharing his kingdom with us. Okay? all right. So, like, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people today rooting for the chiefs all around the country. But they do not share in the kingdom like we do. Like, we are here. We live in the in the midst, of, we can drive by Arrowhead. We live in the chief's kingdom. And so we are sharing in it in a totally different way. And so when we, we look at that, we go, man, it's fun to share in something. Super Bowls are always fun. It's always to pick, fun to pick a team. But man, when you got a team in your hometown, that's a totally different thing, right? Okay, so like when when we think about the kingdom of Christ, and we become children of God, he saves us and sets us free from our sin, we're adopted into that, then he shares his kingdom with us. And so like all that we do throughout the week is a sharing of the kingdom of Christ. As I'm learning, I'm, I'm looking for how the Lord would prepare me in the things that I'm learning throughout the week, that I would share in his kingdom. Today, we'll go um, after church before the Super Bowl. Caitlin has a basketball game, and I'm going into that basketball game, and and we will interact with people, and and I hope she wins, and I hope she scores a lot of points, and the the girls do really good, but I'm going into that place knowing I'm like, what is going to happen in the kingdom here? Now, something may happen, and it may not happen, but I know as a citizen of the kingdom, the kingdom will be at that game today because I'm going to be at that game today. Well, how does the kingdom get there? I'm a son of God. Why are you a son of God? Because Jesus adopted you, adopted me. Why did Jesus adopt you? Who do you think you are? I'm nobody. Like, I'm nobody. He just loves me. And it's not based on what I do that I'm a son of God. It's based on what he already did, and I believe in it. And So now my identity is wrapped up, and I belong to Jesus. And so now it's no longer about what I'm trying to do to please God. I just go, I'm pleasing to God. And I'm like, well, if I'm pleasing to God, I probably ought to act like I'm a son of God. And so now I'm not thinking about how to be in relationship with God. I realize that I am in relationship with God, and I'm just walking it out. And when I trip and stumble, I go, man, that does not look like a citizen of the kingdom. And I say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I kind of blew it there. And he's like, it's okay, bro. Just don't do it. You know, just don't just willingly keep walking into that and I continue to walk with the Lord, and he stretches me. And so here's the deal. When it, when it comes to this giving God all the glory, kingdom relationship must always be placed before kingdom responsibility. And where the, where the devil really screws us up is he gets us working on responsibility because we feel guilty about the relationship. All right, don't like, don't do that. Focus on your relationship, the responsibility will come. Don't focus on the responsibility to try to get the relationship. And that's a real important thing about giving God glory in your life is that that's how you do it. You just live like you're a child of his. Here's the second observation this is not an easy one. Kingdom chameleons comply when they don't have to, like, they comply when they don't have to. Notice that Paul, in this, this passage that I read, is being falsely accused. They're accusing him of something he didn't do. And we never read anywhere where he gets defensive. We would probably be like, well, who do you think you are talking to me about my faith like that? You don't know anything. You're judging me. You don't judge me. That's kind of the way we get. He doesn't do that. He goes with men like if this is if this is what they're thinking and we've kind of the church we have met with my brothers and we've got a plan he he listens to what they say he doesn't get defensive even though it wasn't required for him to do what was asked of him he did it why why did he do what was not required because as we read in the opening passage from the Corinthians to the Jew he became a Jew that he might win the Jews He's like, man, I can get in this, and it might give me an opportunity to minister to these people who are clearly misunderstanding my position. Here's what I want you to hear on this point, and our, 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 but here's what our country even needs to hear politically. It is easy to be consumed by rights instead of what's right for the kingdom. So our rights drive us, so we go, I got rights here, instead of thinking about what is right in this particular situation. And and that's why our country is so screwed up right now and divided and everything. It's because people are too focused on rights instead of what is right. And so it's important for us to be more concerned about people than it is our own convenience. So in a situation where we go, okay, here's a situation where I'm being asked to do something that I don't really need to, like I'm not required of God to do, but it is an opportunity that I could connect with these other individuals. And so I I may not even really want to do this, but for the sake of the kingdom, I will do it and I will inconvenience myself because I, I love God and I love people more than I love myself. Now, it's important to note, that he never compromised the truth. So we're not saying, okay, when we say you become all things to all people, we're not saying that you just say everything's okay because you can't. You just can't do that. Like Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. We just, we can't do that. Like we have to stand for truth. And that's why ultimately Paul ends up getting his head cut off is because he would not compromise on the truth. So the, the, what, what's, what, so we see, well, why did Paul like, practice the law? Well, the word nowhere prohibits practicing the law as you understand, as long as you understand that it cannot save you. And so there's, the, the law is a beautiful thing. And we, we kind of get in this uh, thing where we say sometimes, well, that's Old Testament and it doesn't apply. Well, you're not going to find that in the word. That, that, that just does not in the word. Jesus didn't say, I've come that the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've not come to do away with it. I've come to fulfill it. And what's that mean? I've come to do what you figured out the law couldn't do in your life, to make you right with God the Father. Okay, so so the second thing is kingdom chameleons comply when they don't have to. So when you find yourselves in situations, you might be in a situation, in a scenario at work or school, and um, all of a sudden somebody else gets... um, Uh, gets movement in something that you really feel like you deserve more. And you're like, man, I just ought to get in there and mix that all up. No, you ought to just go, man, the Lord loves me. I'm a citizen of his. I'm a child of his. That person doesn't even know Jesus. And so the last thing I want to do is show them what Jesus is not like and go around saying, I know Jesus. Okay. So they need to be able to look at us and go, man, I can expect that the Lord will take care of me in that situation. We say, Jimmy, you don't understand how the world works, man. I might lose out on a promotion. And I would say to you, you don't understand how the kingdom works. Sometimes the Lord may want you to get beat for him. <laughs> it's not an encouraging preaching, is it? It's true, though, man. Like, it's true. Sometimes we grow the most when we're suffering. Okay, so here's the third observation before we get to the big idea. Kingdom chameleons are compassionate in Contemptible situations. So basically, what I was just leading into that with that illustration, we'll see it fleshed out in Paul's life. Paul was about to be beaten to death by these people. Now, um, so <laughs> he's just getting like he's down. When I was in high school, something happened. I'm not going to go in detail about it because I don't have time. Um, but I was definitely in the right. Kid was stealing from me during PE class. I was a sophomore. I was a minority in my school. I was pretty popular with the upperclassmen, but there was a wave of underclassmen that came in. And so anyway, um, definitely was not really following Jesus at this point in my life, Uh, just for illustration purposes. I want to tell the story. So I confronted the individual and said, hey, man, if I catch you in here in this this class again, there's going to be a price for you to pay because he was sneaking in while we were in um, PE and going to the locker room, and he, I knew he had gotten in my stuff. And so he was like, oh, yeah, 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 man, oh, yeah, man. And so after class, um, I came out, and in between, I don't remember what hour and what hour, you have to understand this is a long time ago, the guy, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, man, Chris wants to meet you out at such and such and deal with this. So I'm like, all right. You got to step up to the plate. So I go up there, I go out there, man, and I'm headed out there, and I come out, and sure enough, he comes up, man, and there's a circle of people. You know how it is with young people, and they gather all around. I'm just squaring off, man, I'm ready to go. And the guy, he starts coming in, and man, like I can see clearly. Now I'm not advocating this, okay? I'm trying to tell you a story. And so I reach back to hit the guy, and as I'm coming back like this, somebody hit me in the side of the head, man. And, like, I'd stumbled, and then somebody hit me in this side of the head. And I was like, I'm going to die right here, man. And I just started getting jumped, and, and like, my, like, I did, like it, there was nobody to help me. One guy that didn't even really like it very much, he jumped in, and he was squaring off for me, or I think I would have went down. And we, we, we made it through, and we got to the hallway, thank the Lord, or I may, have, uh, I may not be here today. <laughs> and so here's what, why am I telling that story? Because when I got in, like after that happened, all I wanted was revenge. Like I, in my heart, I just like I didn't care what it took. I wanted revenge in that moment. Paul has just been beaten severely. Okay. Like he's been beaten. And in this moment, it would be easy for him to say and look out at all of them with the blood running down his face and say, you can all go to hell. I don't care. And he doesn't. He asked the commander if he could speak to the crowd, and he understands he was once where they are now. He was in their shoes. He has empathy, and he shares the good news with them. Why? Because he is a kingdom chameleon always taking on the characteristics to become all things to all people that by the grace of God, he might save son. He loves, you see, the unloved because he knows the love of Jesus and he found it when he was unlovable. And so he gives it away. And that's how the kingdom works. And so here's my big idea for you today as we land this plane. Be a kingdom chameleon. Look for opportunities and go, man, is this one of those moments where I'm supposed to take all of the fruit of the spirit that is in me and connect with this person? He connected with the Roman guard. He connected with the, the, the people in the kingdom at the church who wanted him like the Christians who wanted him to do it this way. He connected with them. He connected with the people who were opposed to him and the Jewish unbelievers who wanted to beat him. He connected with him and said, I was once like you. He's just connecting, 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 and always looking for opportunities to share the gospel. So be a kingdom chameleon. Be in the world, not of it. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.